All right. So uh, welcome, listeners, back to the 180 podcast. I'm your host, Paul, and I'm with my co-host here, Nick. Hey, everyone. It's me again. Um, so just a reminder about what our show is about. Uh, it's kind of stories from everyday people uh, for young people to learn and hopefully be inspired by to do something with, uh, with more intention. Uh, so on today's show, uh, we're talking about corporate careers and what type of things to look out for when you're carving your own path. Uh, what are the challenges or opportunities uh, that will come about uh, both personally and professionally? So our guest today has had lots of experience navigating uh, this uh, tricky road. And I'm going to let uh, Nick introduce uh, who we have on our show today. Oh, thank you, Scott Paul, for the passing. Um, so today we'll be welcoming uh, Scott Abby Ma. So I guess the two of us best knew her as the alumna of our group, uh, but she also served as a Beaver leader for several years as well. I guess one of her biggest roles with Scouts Canada is being on the board of governors as the vice chair of finance, right? A, a more professional career path, she graduated from UBC Southern School of Business and holds both CPA and CFA designation. She also experienced a lot of leadership roles at KPMG and BC Lotto Corporations. And currently, she is a vice president of private equity real estate firm. Uh, another thing to note is that she is the winner of the 2019 Peak Rising Star Award, which is hosted by the Association of Women in Finance. And for what I heard, I guess the most awesome job that she's currently held is being an awesome mother of an almost two-year-old baby boy. So everyone, please help us welcome Scarlett Appy. Yay! Thank you, Nick, for that <laughs> very flattering introduction. <laughs> uh, did I miss something there? Or, you know... You want to add something on? No, no, I, I think you've got it uh, covered. I actually forgot about a couple of those things along the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, you know, we want to dive into the conversation and you'll get old nuggets from you. So, so Abby, I saw that, you know, um, you hold a lot of different awesome positions and achievements, right? Um, when you first came out of school, did you think this is where you're going to be five years down in the future? No, absolutely not. I think one of the uh, things that I've learned very clearly throughout my entire career, um, you know, an entire um, academic career as well, actually, is that you can't always plan for everything. Um, and actually, I should revise that comment to say, you, you can never plan for everything, actually. Um, <laughs> In the sense that when I was in school, I had this whole plan uh, set aside. I was going to graduate within X years. I was going to go through um, co-op program. I was going to go on exchange. I was going to do a law school background and get a degree and do political sciences. And, you know, there were all sorts of things there that I planned. And some of it happened, you know, and some of it didn't. And, you know, not necessarily because... Um, I was not successful in doing it. And sometimes that was the reason, but just mainly because life happens. And, you know, sometimes your path takes you down a different road. And part of being successful, in my opinion, is um, being able to navigate those roads and taking, um, taking attention to the doors that might open along the way. Mm, interesting. That's good to know because you know I'm I'm someone who's about to graduate too, and uh, I have these kind of you know um, imagination expectations of who I should be, you know where I should be in the next five ten years. But uh, I guess not knowing everything is also a fun part of life, I guess. But yeah, uh, now that you, yeah, 
Now you I mentioned. There's, oh, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. I, I should um, I should say that you know I, I do believe it's good to have an idea of where you want to be. You know, one of the most common common interview questions out there is where do you see yourselves in five years or ten years, and so you know I'm I'm not advocating to say that you should just kind of let the winds take you where you want to go, but. Um, to be able to have that flexibility and adaptability to keep eyes open to different opportunities that come up, I think is, um, has been really beneficial to me in life. Mm. Scapo, you about to say something? Uh, I was going to say, so when you graduated right out of the box, if someone asked you that five-year question, what would, have you, what would you have said back then to that, to that question coming out of school? Um, I think I would have said that uh, you would see me in a corporate law uh, environment. My plan when I graduated was um, to spend a couple of years uh, getting my chartered uh, accountant designation, my CA. It's known as the CPACA now. Um, and I was going to go back to law school. And I was going to uh, do a couple of years there and get my corporate law degree and you know, maybe you do M&A law or something mm-hmm. along the lines. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that, that obviously didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> but all, you know, all the I mean, awesome things happen, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's kind of what I, what I mean. I mean, you know, if I think back to my university career, I mean, I, I didn't even want to be in accounting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I initially wanted to do um, portfolio investing. And, uh, you know, I ended up getting my CFA anyway. So, you know, life works in interesting ways and where you kind of get to depends a little bit on where you want to put yourself. Um, but that was, you know, the impetus. I didn't even want to be in accounting. Mm-hmm. And there you go. Yeah. Uh, anyway. I'm very glad I did for all the accountants yeah. out there. <laughs> yeah. Um, you mentioned about, you know, changing roles, open new doors and everything. And, you know, From professionally stalking your LinkedIn account, <laughs> I also noticed that you have worked at a few different, you know, organizations and positions. So, uh, what 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 are some things that make you uh, make those career different career moves that you make, uh, you know, in your past? Um, so, going a little bit back to when I first graduated, I decided to get my CA. Um, and in order to do that, you have to go through, uh, back in the day anyways, you had to go through an audit firm in order to get a certain number of hours to qualify for the designation. And so a little bit of that path was pretty much uh, laid out for you right when you graduate, just in terms of being able to attain um, a designation and the requirements in order to do that. Um, and moving through to different Uh, avenues, you know, I think for myself in particular, KPMG, um, which was the employer I spent quite a number of years at, uh, they had a very good program where they essentially allowed um, employees to in, to uh, take a look at different areas of the business, uh, whether it was an audit, uh, tax, or advisory. And so, you know, I think that really helped as well, having a very supportive employer who was Um, who has the opportunities in a number of different areas that aren't necessarily exactly your background. Um, and so being able to take advantage of that, I transitioned over into our advisory practice. Um, I think there are a couple of different um, decisions that each individual person makes for themselves throughout, uh, throughout their lives. And, you know, for me, leaving KPMG was a little bit of um, 
you know, a, a turning point where I had decided that I wasn't uh, sure if I wanted to stay to be a partner at KPMG. And that was kind of the driving force to uh, leaving KPMG and exploring industry in a different role. Um, and then I, again, you know, following that, like when I left BCLC, I was actually um, on maternity leave, having just had my son and, um, you know, wasn't necessarily looking to leave, but an opportunity came up. And that's kind of, you know, my, my comment about paying attention to the doors that could put could possibly be open and you know, hearing what those opportunities hold um, and ended up deciding to move into private equity, which is, um, you know, a, a very uh, markedly different role than each of the previous two roles that I've been in. So I, I always wonder, like, how, how much is it the job itself? Or is it the challenge? Or like, what, what kind of things do you, your thought process when maybe an opportunity comes up? You know, how do you know this is the right one? Is it, is it often like, how, how's your thought process? I want to speak on what it could be, but. Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, I, I don't actually know if there's ever a right answer to that, um, which I, I'm sure, you know, both of you have experienced throughout as well, where um, if something comes up and you have uh, the choice to take one option versus another, even even when you think about something as simple as deciding what to get takeout for, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no there's no right answer per se because both of both options might be delicious food, and you know, maybe one takes longer to get here than the other. Um, but for me in particular, the things that I look for is primarily um, challenge. So where do I think I can continue to learn and grow? Um, you know, I'll kind of reference. Uh, Scatter Paul, you're, you're familiar with um, one of our previous scouting advisors, Scatter John, who also who always said, if you're not growing, you're, you're dying. You're right? dying, yeah, of and course. So, um, <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds a little morbid, Nick, but... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll quote this. I'll quote to this. It's yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the impetus behind it is the idea that if you're not um, continuing to better yourself, you're essentially mm-hmm. falling behind. Right. And, and I think that um, goes for anything that we do. Right. And if mm. you kind of decide to just stop learning and stop bettering yourself, then everybody else is moving forward and bettering themselves. And you're kind of falling behind in, in, that, um, in that journey. Uh, so, you know, in that respect, I, I always look primarily for challenge and I look for who I'm going to be working with and can I learn from them? How do you think that's, Differed from like your twenties versus your thirties, because um, because for me, it's it's strange because I think I thought when I was younger that I wanted more different challenges and learn a lot, right? Like you want to get that experience, but at the same time, you know, like with your accounting degree, you know, it's good to have some foundational skills because that carries over, you know, for a long term. I kind of find myself now in an interesting spot because I think I think we're both. I mean, you have a son, so it's a bit maybe it's a bit different than me. I'm still. Uh, we're still uh, empty nesters, I guess, or no one ever gets actually into the nest yet. Um, so I'm actually looking at a lot of different, like really random challenges as well, because I feel like this is the opportunity because, you know, I don't have a dependent yet, but you do have one now. Has that, has that changed your approach or do you think it's, it's, it's actually been for the best, maybe because you're more certain of, of things? You know, there's, um, I think 2020 has been an incredible year to reflect on this, um, but I'm, I've always been eternally grateful for the position that I've been in where I don't need to worry about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, recognize that 
I'm in quite a privileged position that not everybody has. And so, you know, you're absolutely right. There are, there are, um, there are people in circumstances where they can't take the risk. They can't um, necessarily take on different challenges where they uh, risk loss of income or, yeah. you know, what, what not. So I've always been fortunate to be in a position where I could do that. Um, that being said, I mean, you, you know, my career and Nick from your stocking, you can tell that I haven't done anything. I'll, I'll call it, you know, way out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, n- nothing about a startup yet. Nothing about, uh, you know, buying a farm and growing your own vegetables. And yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh, that might happen. It can see you happen, you know? <laughs> yeah, <who knows? laughs> so I do have, I do have something else to touch on. And I did mention about my last email, um, I'm not sure if you remember, we've, we had this chat before a while back when you were at BCLC about kind of being a very young director there, mm-hmm. um, but also female, also minority. And, mm-hmm. you know, being in public service myself, you know, understand that the environment, uh, it's not exactly as, as progressive maybe in terms of just the people, because so many people stay there for such a long time. And uh, it's definitely demographically different than, say, if you were in a tech startup where, you know, maybe people haven't even grown facial hair yet. Um, in those areas. So uh, I wanted to ask kind of maybe revisit that question, like what kind of challenges have you faced as, as a person of color or, or, or a minority and, and a female and uh, younger than, than maybe some of your more senior leadership peers? Uh, how has that the challenge been there? Maybe some what are the opportunities that you've seen uh, in your in your path to these more senior leadership positions? Yeah. Um, so so thanks for asking that question, Scatter Paul. And I think it's really important, particularly in, in this day and age and all the conversations that have been um, occurring now. Um, I'll just to give a little bit of background for, for the listeners. So in terms of age, you know, that, that I, I think most of the people listening would be younger than me anyways. But uh, when I first started at BCLC, I was the youngest director. Um, and the different levels at BCLC were that you had directors, vice presidents, um, ultimately all reporting up to the CEO. So I'll, I'll call it like that was part of the senior management team. Um, at the time that I was promoted to director, I was 29. Um, so, you know, fairly young, I, I think I would consider that. Um, I would, I don't know this for a fact, but I would go out on a limb to say that I was the youngest director on the senior executive team at the time, if not, you know, one of two younger directors. Um, looking around the table, at that director team, um, you know, I, I was one of two persons of color um, and uh, certainly the only um, Asian um, person on the team. Uh, and, you know, a- absolutely, I think there is a little bit more, there's a, there's definitely a little bit more challenge. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, um, in terms of color, to be honest, because BCLC in particular, you know, despite being the only, you know, one of the only uh, people of color on the executive management team at the time, I, I didn't feel like there was any sort of discrimination or, um, you know, re- results, uh, negative result as, um, you know, due to my ethnicity, I certainly didn't feel that at all. And I think that's one of the very, um, one of the great things about my experience there is that I, I didn't have that, not everybody has that experience. Um, I will say, though, that uh, my age um, may have played a factor. Mm-hmm. And certainly when I started that role, there was a little bit of, um, you know, challenge in terms of, you know, what what do you bring to the table having only had 29 years of life experience yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. right? versus some other people at, at the table who 
working for 30 plus years. And, and yeah. there's certainly a factor in that for sure. Yeah. Um, and I think part of the thing that uh, I always tried to remember for myself was that, you know, there's, there's two sides to every coin and absolutely like there's no discounting the experience that, um, that time brings you. And those individuals who have gone through it all, seen it all, you know, there's value to be taken from their war stories, um, yeah. so to say. But, uh, you know, always remembering that there's additional value that you can bring in terms of a fresh perspective is good. Um, one of the very um, vivid memories I have actually is when I had people in, uh, you know, the, the staff level actually come up to me one day and they were like, you know, wow, Abby, I'm, I'm really glad to see um, a person of color in the senior management mm -hmm. team because this has been, you know, like one of the few times, if not the first time we've ever seen that. Wow. And it actually was, um, you know, a, a very memorable moment for me because at that point I hadn't realized what type of responsibility I have in that respect. Um, being a, a leader, being somebody of person and female um, and the responsibility I have to all of, you know, the other people who are growing up and, and looking to grow their career as an opportunity. So not, not sure if that totally answers your, your question, but I think that, um, you know, there's, there's different, there's different challenges. I've, I've been fortunate not to have been the uh, target of any sort of um, discrimination or whatnot as a result, but uh, there's there's a lot of things to always consider that um, is not necessarily always top of mind. Yeah, I think in in Vancouver being a much more diverse uh, or in BC actually, right, like more diverse population, I think it definitely uh, you don't you don't feel it and see it as often. Even in my career, um, what I did note was you know I think when I was younger, I would think that you know it's it's always a linear progression from like a junior analyst to the CEO or mm -hmm. maybe to a senior manager. But, you know, I, what I reflect on working at Fraser health is just meeting a lot of folks who are very content to just be where they are um, until the, you know, until the, the, the last day of work. So a lot of analysts, a lot of friends of mine, I consider friends at work, you know, they're like 62 years old, 63 years old. They're same level, but they've got 10, 20 more years experience at that same role. Um, and they're just happy to kind of do their job and, uh, um, you know, do the best work because they all have all the experience, right? Um, and you always lean on them. Even if you are a more senior position, you have to understand how to navigate, you know, someone who's more senior in age, but maybe not in position to, to balance that out. And um, you, you were telling me before about just kind of managing peers. Maybe you can speak a little bit on managing your uh, or managing your team with people with higher age, you know, higher experience than you did how how did you navigate that uh yeah absolutely i, I think um especially at bclc um there are a number of people who are you know very very happy doing what they're doing and um the the interest and motivation to move up into senior management roles is not something that's that's right for everybody mm -hmm. um a number of the people on my team uh, the majority of the people on my team at bclc were um you know, of greater age than I was, and managing uh, some of them was more of a challenge than others. And I think part of that depends on the dynamic between the team and understanding exactly what they're looking for. Um, you know, as 
as an example, there were people on the team who were you know, happy where they were and trying to continue to grow and actually viewed having somebody who was younger than them in a leadership role as um, motivation to say that, you know, they could get there too. Um, but, you know, absolutely, there were other people on the team who just couldn't come to terms with having somebody younger than them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, despite working with uh, that individual and having the conversations and trying to align interest, like at the end of the day, it just, it didn't work out and they decided to take another path. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, for young people in management roles, there's always going to be that, uh, you know, those two paths, right? Like one, whether it does work out and sometimes it doesn't, and that's not necessarily, um, you know, that shouldn't be viewed as a, as a failure for that leader. Mm-hmm because each person has to make their own independent assessment. Um, what ended up working for me, uh, you know, at least in my experience, has been having that very honest conversation with them, um, with each individual and, and seeing how, you know, where they want to get to. And I've always viewed my role as a leader more as um, you know, perhaps a servant leader, if I can use that term, to be able to help people to get to where they want to go. Um, you know, when people said like, oh yeah, you know, this is my boss. I was like, well, actually, you know, I, I answered you guys. Yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> right. They're, they're the ones kind of helping hold up the team and without them, I wouldn't be anything. And so that's yeah. always been, been my view. Yeah. Um, I, I think I, it's yeah. interesting though, Paul, as you bring that up is that, um, you know, one of the unfortunate things that I've always felt uh, has happen through a lot of organizations is that people tend to view um, positions as uh, you know more senior or more knowledgeable and one of the most important positions in my opinion in an entire organization is um, you know an executive assistant or an assistant. yeah yeah and a sure. lot of people you know often will look down upon that position saying like oh you know they're they're just doing like, and then work yeah. and paper, paper pushing yeah yeah Coffee, yeah, something. yeah something something but yeah. you know like the mutual respect for everybody in the organization who plays a role like without those individuals an organization would not run <laughs> yeah and they're, they're often the people that have been maybe around the longest mm-hmm. and they actually they they know the most people so if i ever get a christmas present for anyone it's going to be yeah. the eas yeah that's right um because they are the gatekeepers for a lot of the senior executives as well, or um, so maybe some of the HR functions as well, right? Like um, timekeeping recording. So uh, my, uh, our, our, our reception person, she, uh, she reminded me that, cause I was giving my, 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 my um, time off schedule, right? For my wedding. And she reminded me that we have a policy where you get up to five days if you're getting married that year, fully paid. I didn't know that. And if she didn't, if we didn't have a relationship, maybe, or maybe a bad one, she maybe wouldn't feel like it's necessary for her to remind me that was the case and just say, what do you want? Vacation? Okay, done. But she went out of her way and I think got her a, a gift card or something. And she was like, I'm just doing my job. I'm like, well, yes, but, um, you know, she could have just wrote it down as I said it, instead of reminding me, um, that, that I could actually get five days paid, which is great. So I can yeah. carry that off to next year. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and Paul, you know, like in that respect too, like that's another very, very important thing that um, I think people, people know about, but maybe don't place the emphasis on and that's relationships. 
right? Like knowing, like having relationships, knowing who to talk to um, and having that go both ways and helping other yeah. people. Like yeah. I, I would not have gotten the job that I have today if not for relationships. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah, I think, I think, I think I just know how to, you know, survive in the working environment, go after seniors and make good relationships with them and they will help you because they know most of the stuff. And I guess five day, you know, pay vacation thing for marriage is a good thing that I will have in my mind as well. Not all, company, <laughs> not all companies, some people have stock options. I don't get those obviously any, well, I don't get any more. Uh, Abby, so it depends where you work, Nick, right? Um, yeah, actually, five days paid for a wedding. I haven't heard of that benefit before, but that yeah. sounds pretty good. Yeah, it's almost like a marriage leave, like like marriage leave or wedding leave. Or <laughs> right. Because it, it's so stressful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess the last thing on, on this on this point about diversity, do you feel more responsible now to kind of move that narrative forward a little bit? Yes. Um, yeah, Absolutely. Something I had to ask in, in, in a course I did on leadership was asking a, a senior leader, like, has, has this idea of diversity inclusion and um, has it changed your hiring practice, right? Like, the, you know, like, because now people are maybe skewing more depending on your organizational's culture and maybe uh, heat from, from the public in certain yeah. cases uh, to, to hire a more diverse uh, candidates or you know just hire the best person and then whoever shows up that's who you hire like how do you balance that out uh how did you ba- did you balance that out um yeah we, we definitely uh, made sure it was part of our hiring practices at bclc and um you know that that was a and i refer i reference back to that because that was my most recent experience for large mm-hmm. hiring our team was uh, 25 people across two offices so there were lots of opportunities um with people moving either to different opportunities or to different areas in the organization to get new hires and that was a very conscious part our first and foremost um objective was always to hire the right person for the role even if that meant it took longer mm-hmm. um so if we had to wait because the candidate pool just was not meeting our expectations that was okay um but with you know the secondary objective was always to make sure that uh, we were taking into account our own conscious biases potentially to make sure that we were putting that in check and a couple of the things that we did in order to do that was to make sure that um, potential candidates met as many people as possible okay and so you know for us even if it was a person that um you know, we were hiring as a manager. Um, we always had that person meet at least five people within mm-hmm. the team so that there would be, um, you know, an opportunity for each of those five people to, uh, to, to meet them and interact with them. And it, it, you know, it obviously does not make it foolproof, but it reduces the chances for um, difference of conscious biases to appear. Um, because on recent feedback, we, we would, uh, provide different perspectives. That's fascinating to hear, right? Because because in my mind, it's it's just always you know do how as much test as needed to determine who has the best skill set. 
that's that that's it because i guess that the, i guess from my point of view right uh, the ability to take care of the responsibilities and you know the positions in the organization is the most important thing right uh, and i guess the second thing is mind, mindset attitude and everything uh, so do whatever it tests it takes to determine the one that has the best in those two categories and that's it um so disregarding the whole thing about <laughs> diversity and inclusiveness and everything but um i guess i was kind of wrong <laughs> well, well, and uh, you know you don't don't say that nick because yeah. i think there are different perspectives out there for sure um you know for me personally i would actually flip those two things that you talked about Oh. Uh, and to me, the most important thing is actually mindset, attitude, and aptitude for learning. Um, and maybe that's because I, I view myself and my responsibility more as um, teaching and trying to, you know, make sure that whoever is the right person for the role is successful in that role. Um, but you know, I'll give an example. We actually um, ended up having to terminate someone um, in one of my previous positions where. You know, technically speaking, like uh, on the skill set, like they were very capable, very confident, and you know, a lot of the things that they did were great. But the attitude just wasn't there, and mm. it ended up waiting um, on the team entirely, and that this was a higher cost than we were able to bear. So, so yeah, so so add on to that, right? So if you were, you know, to take part in a hiring process of a of a freshly graduate person, right? So are those the abilities that you would look into them? So first is mindset, attitude, and then abilities, and then also maybe cognitive bias and everything else later. Yeah, and, and I think there are, are a number of things that um, new graduates can do to help themselves um, portray, be portrayed in that light, right? And, and obviously as new graduates, like you don't necessarily have all the very direct uh, experience that you can show like, yes, um, I did exactly what you're hiring for because well sim simply speaking you probably haven't right um but a, a lot of things like extracurriculars um you know the uh position putting yourself in positions where you have examples of um initiative and being a self-starter like those are things that if i were to count as evaluating a skill set of a new graduate like that's what i would look for I wouldn't necessarily say like if I was hiring for accounting, right? I wouldn't say, have you made a journal entry, right? Because that just, that doesn't matter, <laughs> you know, but um, do you have examples where you've done something out of your own initiative, right? Like whether that is in a school club or, you know, any sort of um, volunteer organization. Mm. Speaking of, Volunteering for organizations. Oh, by the way, thank you for the answer. Speaking for volunteer organization, I think Scalpo has prepared a question for that as well. Yeah. Um, thanks for the lead in, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I just, I just want to bring on one point from uh, what Abby said with the group interviews, because I've been in a lot of group interviews and, and you know, both on, on both sides. I think at the end of the day, if you know people want to work with someone they like right and i know you know an hour interview or half an hour meeting the person doesn't determine that but you know first impressions and getting a sense of the person and your team getting a sense of the person um you know they, they have to like the person they're working with even you know skills aside and maybe skills are about the same um, attitude is about the same but 
Um, sometimes it's personality. Sometimes it's like maybe there's some specific tasks that, you know, your, your analysts know about Abby, but you don't. So you want to make sure that they can maybe communicate what that task is or, or that um, technical skill um, and make sure that that person uh, who's coming on board is able to translate that and, and move forward. So um, just, yeah, I definitely seen and been a part of more group interviews in the last couple of years than say maybe, you know, the previous decade where we worked or, or more junior roles because people want the entire team, the whole family to know uh, this new hire because rehiring is expensive, right? Yeah. Uh, firing and hiring is, is expensive. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it takes a toll on team morale as well. Right? Having mm-hmm. brought somebody in and deciding that they didn't work out like that. Um, the emotional cost of that is, is just as high, if not higher than the monetary cost. Yeah. For sure. You'll, you'll know by Nick, you know, we're just foreshadowing for you too. Yeah. I, I don't think I have been in a group interview before, but uh, oh, really? yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's it's always been a solo thing, mm. right? Right. Most of them I failed, but I learned. <laughs> At least I tried to improve. That's the important part. Yeah. Practice. Uh, the more interviews you put yourself through, yeah. um, the better, right? There's lots of yeah. really good people who I I know um, would do a great job at whatever they're applying for that didn't get the job, um, simply because they might not have shown up the right way that day. So, so switching gears a bit, as Nick was alluding to, um, so I know you and your husband, Brandon, have always been great at giving your time and resources uh, back to the community. Um, so there's a little story. I remember at your wedding that you guys, instead of asking for gifts, uh, you guys asked the guests to donate to one of three uh, or all three um, causes that you were very passionate about. And I believe scouting in our group was one of them. Um, so how important has, you know, giving back and volunteering been for your, maybe for your career and maybe for you personally? Yeah, um, absolutely. It's been, it's been very, uh, a very crucial part of our, our lives. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sad to say that over the last couple of years, I haven't been able to commit as much time to it um, as I would have liked. But, you know, one, one of the main things that I think about all the time, you know, going back to our conversation of being a person of color and, and being uh, female is of the opportunities that I have simply because my parents made the move um, when I was little and gave me the opportunity to grow up um, in BC and in Canada. Um, there's lots of people out there who don't have that opportunity, um, who haven't necessarily been set up that way and being able to acknowledge kind of the the benefits that we've had and to give back to the community to help others um, in that way is really important. Um, There's also a lot of people who have devoted their time and effort and their entire lives to um, these sort of greater causes and, uh, you know, being able to support them whether through our own time or through uh, financial donations um, is something that, you know, we, we want to try to do as, especially now that we have, um, that we have a kid, you know, it's, uh, it certainly throws things in a different light to say, what kind of world do I want uh, Evan to grow up in? And what do I want him to learn um, from us and from others in terms of being a, just a really good human being um, and trying to uh, help the world a little bit. It's incredible, actually, um, to think about where 
uh, where where we're seeing more people at in their own individual um, opinions and uh, what actions to do that. Um, so, so certainly, uh, sorry to uh, you know go off on a little bit of a tangent there, but I, I think certainly um, it's been very incremental um, to our careers, uh, but also just part of who we are and in, in our desire to give back. Right, like a, as parents, as uh, members of community, as um, you know, sons and daughters as well, right, mm-hmm. and, and yeah. friends. Uh, it, it just it, it ends up being more so a responsibility, I think, of people in positions um, you know that, that I consider myself to be in the the, um, the benefit that I have to be able to give back. Then follow up, Nick. I was I was so you know into the story. Um, I really like the fact that, you know, uh, as you, um, you know, taking on the role as being modern and everything, you were thinking of the world that your child's going to grow up in, you know, the world in the future and everything in the way how giving back to the community can you know, help shape that world into a more positive one. And, you know, that that's, that's something that, you know, it makes me really resonate with because, you know, I'm young and right now I'm kind of, powerless <laughs> in a sense mm-hmm. that I don't have that ability to make significant impact on the world I want to live in the world that you know ideally I want to live in yet but uh it it, it did give me inspiration you know to just take small steps forward you know and it will happen so thank you for that you know inspiration and everything yeah uh, and and like just picking up on something you're saying there like yeah don't ever feel like you're powerless to anything i mean frankly in this world like each each ind- individual person whatever action they take even if it's something as small as like literally putting um you know recycling item in the right <laughs> box, exactly, like, yeah you know that that's power right there because you have the power to make that choice and um you're taking that step to uh, act out what you believe in um I think if it's one thing that a lot of people um, and myself included uh, are guilty of is um, being a little bit too humble uh, and putting yourself in the mind of not having enough confidence, right? And, um, you know, believe in yourself, right? To, To know what you can do. And part of that confidence includes knowing what you need to improve on. Right? And that's where humility comes into it. But I put myself into that category where, I mean, even now, you know, some of the things that I do based on where I am, people look at me and they're like, wow, Abby, like you've, you've done a lot and you're really successful. But even I said to Brandon, when, when Scatter Paul reached out to me and said, hey, are you interested in talking about your experience? So I was like, I said to Brandon, I was like, people want to hear about my experience. You know, like what, what have I done that people want to hear about? And, you know, that's, that right there is also like I, I'm still in that same boat yeah. of, of confidence and you know feeling like I don't necessarily have anything to add. But you know, please, please don't feel that way, right? Like don't yeah. don't feel like powerless to do anything. Yeah. So I mean, the two things come to mind actually when you say that is like you know the power of like social media. Yes, you, you can tell you know you you can see people transform into this kind of mob, right? On one hand. Right, um, but on on the on the bright side, if we look at the brighter sides, you know, like even 
you know, in our group, we share things like, you know, meet list Mondays. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I think I am, I'm a hundred percent, um, confident to say that, you know, I didn't eat meat on one Monday because of this campaign that we did. Right. Right. Uh, and that was something very small, right. That the group decided to do. And, um, you know what? Okay. I'll, I'll eat, uh, just tofu today. Right. Like mm. it's not a big thing in the grand scheme of things. If you look at all the roast I've ate or like you know, chicken wings I've had, but it, it, it can move the needle, right. It can, it can change that, uh, the narrative. And Nick, you have lots of time to do that. Uh, and technology and technology and capability, right. I'd be like, I mean, we didn't grow up with Facebook or anything like that. Right. We, uh, we had Windows 95. Yeah, <laughs> we had dial-up internet. Yeah, we had dial-up internet, you know? I don't know what high speed. So I think even the little things um, make a difference. And even this podcast, if it's just you, me, and like Abby, like you and I talking to Nick about something and he makes a change in his life, maybe we've helped the next uh, CEO of Scouts Canada with something. I don't know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> sounds really far away. <laughs> It's a lot closer to think, you know, you just, I, I would also say, you know, live your life and then and appreciate the time that you have uh, as a 20 year old. <laughs> Abby and I can both agree on, on that. Yeah. Time certainly passes by a lot yeah. faster than, uh, than you might think. Yeah. At that age. <laughs> um, so yeah, going on our next, uh, next set of questions here. Um, now I know you also served on a board for um, arts. Art starts. Yeah. Art starts. Uh, do you still do that right now or I don't on? know I uh, ended up pausing that one kind of mm -hmm. when I did it simultaneously with scouts and all the yeah. flying associated with that kind of that was pre-Evan right so that was pre-Evan you're yeah. right <laughs> um, so you know I think I think you know we've we know and talked to a lot of volunteers but not as many who've served on boards um, so I, I was I was curious if you could maybe talk to our audience about the differences between being a frontline volunteer, which you've done and serving on a board for art starts and, and scouts Canada, of course. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think there is perhaps a, an idea out there that being a uh, frontline volunteer is quite a bit different than being a board volunteer. And, um, you know, certainly while that's the case in a lot of the responsibilities, uh, you know, like I'm not necessarily doling out about a soup kitchen if I'm a, yeah. a board volunteer. Um, and, you know, let, let me pause on that. I shouldn't say that because I actually think it's very important for people who are on boards to experience that frontline volunteering. Um, but the, it's, it's actually very similar to me because you're just serving the organization in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that organization needs all of those aspects. Um, you know, definitely by being part of a board, there is more responsibility there because you're helping to steer the vision, the mission, um, and the programming of, of that organization. Um, you know, especially uh, in organizations like Art Starts in Schools, which goes to help integrate arts into education um, and promote the importance of arts and, um, in schools uh, and in different types of learning, but um, also at Scouts Canada, where, you know, bringing forward um, the mission and, and vision of that organization to serve, you know, all the youth across Canada, um, you know, the, it's, it's very, very important. Uh, it's it's different because there are, as, as there is with any sort of organization, there's always politics at different levels. 
Um, these are people that you may not necessarily, um, you know, completely agree with all the time. And, and that's very healthy uh, because there needs to be a certain level of debate at these organizations, um, at every organization in order to make sure that you're getting to the right answer. Um, not too different than what happens at uh, like 180, for example, right? Like when, when you guys are coming up with even the idea for this podcast, for example, I'm sure there, there was a little bit of debate on what the right medium was, what the right topics were. Um, so there, there's lots of those type of conversations. No, <laughs> you know what I mean? A lot, a lot. All the time. <laughs> a lot. Too much. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I think there's differences, but it, it, it to me goes back to the attitude and kind of uh, the purpose of why you're serving and um, the purpose of why you're serving should be in my mind, the same, whether you're on the board or, you know, or front lines working with kids. Okay. There's different skill sets for sure. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily um, be able to be the vice chair of finance of, of Scouts Canada back when I was, if I didn't have a finance degree, for example, or that experience. So definitely different skill sets. And that also uh, kind of talks to being able to move your experience and your knowledge from different environments. So maybe, maybe pivoting a little bit, but kind of on the same thread. Um, like if you were going into a more corporate career, do you think the board experience kind of maybe laid, gave you a bit more credibility in your executive roles? Um, yeah. Because, you know, they are in the same space, let's say, um, yeah. you know, the, the board and, and the executive team. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I think so. Um, you know, so for the youth who are looking to get into different roles, right? Like even if you look at different organizations that have board positions open, I think that's always amazing experience to get. It um, gives you a little bit more understanding into how an organization runs and what are the type of things that, uh, that are important in that guidance and leadership of that organization. Um, so certainly, certainly I believe it helped me uh, get to where I was, even just in terms of the learning. Yeah, I, I, did you did you get approached by both those organizations, or did Brandon approach you for one of them, um, or how did how did those board uh, opportunities come about for you? Uh, one of them. So our starts in schools, I actually just searched like one. I can't remember what year it was, but I, I decided as part of my learning for that year that I wanted to get a board position, and um, you know, for for the reasons that I kind of talked about, I believe that it. Uh, would help further my learning. I, I thought it would be good for me to learn about different organizations and applying management skills. And so I, I literally just searched. searched. I searched and uh, I found it. I thought, you know, it was a really, um, you know, it was a really cool organization that kind of uh, spoke to me because I, I quite like the arts as well. And mm -hmm. I, I used to attempt to paint and draw. I'm not very good at it. Hence why I'm still in finance. <laughs> but <laughs> You know, that, that it spoke to me in, in that way. Um, Scouts Canada, the board position, I'm trying to remember now. It might have been Scouter John that, uh, that talked to me about it because he was on the board at the time and they were looking for um, a vice chair of finance. Okay. I think that might, have been, that might have been how it came about. And again, the, there's the power of relationships, mm -hmm. right? Like, would they necessarily have considered me because I'm some young yeah person out of the west right mm -hmm. um but yeah, having eastern western like uh, biases with scouts canada because a lot of people actually the membership is actually largely in ontario yeah so yeah. even having a representation out west and there's another kind of uh a challenge um 
Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Sure. Well, the good thing oh, about the yeah. and the board makeup is that there is a requirement to have um, board members represented from each area, mm -hmm. uh, so that we make sure that there's uh, that we're, there's we're hearing the perspective of everybody. Yeah, so they got, they got to use a chip on on you. So, and I, I remember <laughs> some of those. I I mean, and because I do remember watching one of the AGMs and I remember you presenting there and it was like, it was really cool to see. Um, I think, I think your counterpart who was the staff was like a lot, like a bit taller than you. So it was kind of like um, this uh, contrast, right. Uh, and also the makeup of, 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 of Scouts Canada. Um, not, a, you know, like going back to, no one to go back to the diversity bit, but, but, you know, most of the members are, you know, in Vancouver are maybe, from Asian backgrounds, but the yeah. rest of Canada isn't, right? And and yeah. so there's another um, challenge there, which you again broke more barriers for for us. So so thank you. Well, and that's that's actually interesting because as you mentioned that you're right. Like I think back to my experience on the board, and I was the only person of color. Mm, interesting. Because I think what? I, I'd have to go back to to clarify. And there, you know, people have different backgrounds that I'm not. Yeah. Right, but definitely one of the uh, only visible. Yeah, visible minority. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, the age thing too, Scout kind of right, like a lot more yeah. older group, uh, especially serving on um, such a position. So lots, of, you have lots, of, lots of experience. You should definitely, um, you know, write something up or or put something together about uh, these experiences. I encourage you to do so. <laughs> Just like we encouraged uh, uh, Jeremy and Sophie, who we had on a couple weeks ago, to capture their 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 travels no. um, you'd think that they would do that right as you know part of this kind of life-changing thing but they're they're kind of like we're too busy for it we're it's hard enough just to get hot water so um, <laughs> right so we're doing the job yeah. as well to so help them yeah <laughs> so we're doing we're, we're, we're kind of setting people off to do this so maybe you know for yourself hearing about all these experiences and not remembering all the things you've done you know put together uh something for yourself might be might be interesting yeah. Post, post yeah. your own podcast and then you have to tell people all your stuff. Right. <laughs> um, anyway, Scott, I think it's time to ask a golden question. Sure. Yeah. So, happy. Uh, so, for every guest that's come, that came into you know, this podcast, we always want them to ask the golden questions, which is what advice would you give to your younger self? But actually, in your case, I would ask if you. If you could go back, you know, to your 18, early 20s, just graduate, right? Would you have done anything different? Why and why not? Would I have done anything differently? Um, you know, I, I think for sure there's lots of things that I, I might look back on and thought, you know, maybe I should have taken a different uh, different road. Like a, a very quick example of that was, um, you know, I mentioned early on, uh, one of the things that I may have considered was like an exchange. Uh, when I was in university and, you know, spending a term somewhere else. And at the time when I was speaking to my parents about it, my dad was very adamant. He's like, well, if you're going to go and do this, you should absolutely go to China. Like 100%, 110, 20, 30, 40, 50%, you should go to oh, China. Okay. And, uh, you know, this was, I'm, um, you know, quite a, quite a bit older now. So this was like, <laughs> you know, eight to 10 years ago. Um, oh God, no longer than that. Anyways, uh, they, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> and he said to me, he goes, I, I, you know, I definitely support you if you go to China, but if you go somewhere else, like, no, I'm not. That, that's just not beneficial. And I, 
at the time said, well, I just want to go party in Europe. <laughs> like, so, you know, I, I don't like, no, screw it. And I ended up staying here actually doing different things. And that led to different opportunities because, you know, that your, your choose your own adventure book always takes you down different roads. Um, but looking back upon that, I should have gone to China. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Like, so a- anyways, uh, what that kind of speaks to is, um, you know, do I regret doing anything I've done? Sure. But I, I think um, I, I don't necessarily think I would have done anything differently because mm-hmm. that's kind of all the different uh, little experiences that add up to where I am now. When I didn't go on exchange, I ended up deciding to try and graduate early. I decided to uh, start working earlier. And then that kind of set me up for a different um, sort of experience because I got the opportunity to work on different jobs um, at KPMG that maybe I I wouldn't have. So, you know, it all kind of um, goes to a different different path and um, builds upon different strengths to get to, you know, where I am today. Um, You know, so I think in that, in that sense, the golden question is, um, you know, don't, don't live in the past, right? Especially as young people, you're going to try a bunch of different things and not all of them are going to work out and that's okay. That's part of living. That's part of learning. Um, but you know, don't let that continue to hold you back, right? Don't let the, what if continue to hold you back because it's not, it's not, you know, what if I had done this? The question should be, what if I do this, right? So instead of looking at it in the past of what you could have done, look at what you could do. Um, And, you know, don't worry about titles per se. Um, You know, I think this would have shown up on my LinkedIn too, but when I left BCLC as a director to join a private equity firm, um, I joined as a senior associate. And so when you look at that sort of career path, you think like, okay, hold on a second. You went from a director in senior management and you decided to take a role as a senior associate. Like that seems like a little bit of a step backward. You know, well, lo and behold, um, in four months, I was promoted to vice president, right? Mm. And so it, um, you know, look beyond the surface level into what, you think that opportunity will get for you and um you know try to dig deep into what it is that uh that you want to do and trust that the actions you take will get you there eventually even uh not even but especially because it will not be a straight path yeah i i really agree with that like dwelling on the past thing or like dwelling of what you should have done because you can't do anything about it. And it's, I don't know if maybe again, we're maybe in our thirties now, like the past seems like it's so quickly moving, right? Like into the way back in the past, right? Like if I think about, you know, I should have done a different say bachelor's degree, which when I was younger in my twenties, it was, when I was thinking, you know, maybe I shouldn't have done economics. Maybe I should have specialized, like you said, in political science or in, English to do like a pre-law, but you know, it's already happened. And the mm. quicker you move away from that and just say, what can I do with what I do have? You know, you're going to get to another place um, that maybe it's more regrets, but maybe it's more learning. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that, that's, you know, something that's interesting. We've never had the same advice from all four people we've interviewed. And I think that's one's uh, that's quite good. 
Um, yeah. That's that's not to say that I don't still do that. I do still look back yeah. at people like, oh, I should have done this. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think, yeah, but I think like dwelling, I mean, learning from it, but like kind of dwelling like, man, I should have, yeah. you know, maybe I can make up for it. like, um, right. yeah. I, I guess a bit of a side, side story for myself is it's kind of what happened to me. I try to make up for it. So I, I had took an extra year of school because I transferred in, in my bachelor degree to perhaps get into commerce. So I was in economics, I was in arts. Um, and then I, I spent a year trying to uh, change grades or to kind of move my courses around to get a BCom, and it cost me a year. And then I never finished um, getting into a full program with a major. So I just finished my economics degree. And then I think like six years later, I did that diploma in business to say, okay, I made up that, uh, you know, that business education that I always wanted. Um, and through the job I had, um, I got into my MBA program. So kind of, it, it came full circle. Like maybe, you know, you know, I dwelled on it for a while, but it still came back and pushed me to do an MBA. And if I didn't, if I had a BCom and I kind of left it at that, maybe I wouldn't have done MBA and maybe I wouldn't have gotten these opportunities that I have now. Right. So the fact that I didn't get a chance to do my BCom, helped perpetuate me to um, getting a master's degree, which I'm very happy with. And, and I've had some great uh, experiences with um, that I never thought I would have. Um, but, you know, so, so maybe instead of dwelling on that thing that happened to me when I was younger, I used it as fuel to push me to do um, and just to take a leap. Like I didn't have a second thought about it after um, I did my business diploma. And then like literally that month after I graduated from that diploma program, um, maybe part of it was like watching people with, uh, without, with hoods on, at my graduation. Cause if you have a hood, it means you've got a master's degree. If you don't, you just did a diploma. Okay. It's very oh. academic snob, snobbish <laughs> that, uh, that happens. Um, so like, man, I want a hood. Right. Um, and then this opportunity to take, uh, this program came up that same month that I graduated from this diploma. And I said, you know, I'm just going to do it. Cause maybe I just want that hood. I don't know. Or maybe it's a lifelong uh, thing I wanted to, to, to make right. And, and I did. And, and so even though when I graduated at the time, I graduated 10 years ago from bachelor's degree before that, uh, that happened. And I was a, a little bit above the average age for an MBA. I think I was like 33 and everyone's mostly like, there's like 25 year olds in my program. Um, and there was also 45 year olds. So it was quite interesting. Anyways, a bit of a, a tangent story, but, uh, yeah, you know, I'd be, I definitely, uh, Definitely think that's a great advice uh, that you brought up. Yeah, no, thank, thank you. I, and like, that's the learning from different stories that people share. Like that, frankly, is worth more, well, I shouldn't say more, worth, um, you know, quite, quite a bit. Like it's, it's just as much as um, textbook learning. If not, uh, you know, that's where I was going to say it's more than test again. Mm-hmm. Learning is like, important as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, any school or sort of even like your CFA, I remember you telling me that, you know, for your current job, it wasn't like so critical to have, but, um, you know, yeah. it's life. And it's yet like, where it's I am now, you. like I, yeah. I use it all the time and I should have yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so maybe before we wrap up completely, uh, maybe tell us a little bit about your current role, what you like about it and, uh, what are some cool things happening in the private equity world? Yeah. Um, so I moved into a role here, um, in private equity, we're a real estate private equity firm. Um, as a vice president, I'm responsible for uh, sourcing acquisitions and uh, closing um, investments into our fund. Um, so what we do there is we essentially um, uh, take investors' capital and we try to make them a, a really good return. 
um, based on uh, the parameters that we set out in terms of our fund. Uh, really cool things are happening. Um, so what we do uh, with our fund is we invest into the affordable housing industry. Um, okay, cool. In the States. And so, uh, you know, kind of a really cool thing happening there is um, being able to see the different uh, effects uh, that are are happening as part of the politics in the U.S., frankly. Um, and there are certain, uh, you know, things that are challenging about that business, like, um, you know, our tenants' ability to pay rent as a result of um, being impacted by COVID, as an example. So there's there's very real, uh, very real-time um, impacts that mm. I'm seeing. And, and, you know, probably you're seeing too, Paul, like in your role at Fraser Health, like that's actually you know, directly correlated and you're seeing exactly what, what the fallout is from all these, um, from all these uh, health, um, health centers being issued and, and, you know, vaccines being rolled out and things like that. So, um, yeah, you know, the really cool thing I think about my role is I, I get to, um, I get to put my investment theses into action. Um, I get, uh, you know, the uh, great benefit and responsibility of investing other people's money, uh, people who are trusting me with that. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the other cool things is that I'm one of five people um, at my firm. And so that's a, a big difference from going from KPMG, you know, like a multinational um, firm and going from BCLC, even a company of about you know, 400 people in the corporate office and mm -hmm. more uh, when you consider our network um, to one of five <laughs> being employee number three. <laughs> Actually, I always call that employee number one because the first two people are the, the individuals who yeah. found it. <laughs> so uh, def definitely pretty cool to, um, to be on the spectrum of all that and being able to see exactly um, the results of my efforts. So even when you were like, because, you know, you're going back to you when, you were coming out of school, you thought you'd be in kind of investment and uh, finance that yeah. way. You ended up there anyways, or, I did. or I got there, there somehow. Yeah. That's, uh, that's really cool. Um, I think, okay, I think that's, uh, that's all the questions we had. Nick, do you have anything else? Oh, I guess. Thank you so much for everything. I mean, the inspiration, the knowledge, and I guess I also know where to go if I have questions regarding private equity as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I guess on behalf of both of us, thank you so much for coming on the show. I wish you best of luck with you know, your career path. Um, you know, with I think I think I think your son's birthday is coming soon, from what I heard. So uh, early happy birthday to him as well. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess yeah. Thank you so much for everything, and um, I hope we can have this chat maybe sometime in person soon after this pandemic is over. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thank you for having me uh, on the podcast. As I, I said earlier, it's always very flattering to know that people want to hear about what I'm doing. And I, I can only hope that, um, you know, a little bit of what I said has resonated with your listeners. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thanks for being on. Yeah. All right. Okay, have a great yeah. rest of the day. This podcast is a project created by her AT Pacific Coast Scout Group where we created awesome leadership and management training program for 18 to 26 years old. If you want to learn more about us, check out our website and social media accounts. Link in description.